One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast. We are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. I'm your host, Ben Fritz, bfritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter. And today, I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. Week 11, guys. What's going on? Basketball, man. The, the second half of the season, see what happens. My Niners won a big game, so I'm excited about that. That takes away all of the uh, pain from losing in DFS for the week. <laughs> so there, there you go. You, the silver lining, right? I, I watched the one of the worst roughing the passer calls I've ever seen versus Ryan Tannehill on Sunday, so that was that was fun. But uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to talking with some of these games. Yeah, I took a I took a bye week, which I talked about in my assessing. Uh, my process, uh, yeah, which was a, a really good thing. Anybody that's struggling or on a cold streak, I would suggest going to listen to that for the past week or two, both those pods. Um, if nothing else, to, to have somebody to commiserate with and realize that uh, going through pretty garbage times happens to all of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm kind of excited for feel a little bit rejuvenated, feeling excited for the rest of the year and see, see what we can get into here. Let's do it. All right. Today we are going to be talking about Dallas at Kansas city, Indy at Buffalo and new Orleans at Philadelphia. All right. So starting with Dallas at Kansas city, the spot that's not going to go overlooked, but we want to dig in a little bit here because we want to see if we can find anything that the, the field might be overlooking in a lot of these spots that are going to be popular. There's often assumptions that are going to be made. So our goal in this space is always to dig in a little bit more and see if we can come up with anything that the field isn't quite considering. So to start with the Kansas City offensive side of the ball, the Cowboys pass defense has been kind of Jekyll and Hyde so far with the first half of the year to this point, them allowing quite a bit of production and then not nearly as much of late. So Lex, obviously we've got Mahomes uh, seem to have that bounce back week that you were kind of mentioning a couple of weeks ago. Seems like they finally got that spot last week. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, obviously an elite talent. What do we think about his matchup and the Cowboys past D here? Yeah. Like you were saying, just kind of a weird, weird Cowboys defense. Um, I think some of it has to do with the opponent. Like if you look at the list of guys they've played of late, it's not like the, the best quarterbacks in the league per se, but um, I think a lot of too, the production that they've allowed over the course of the year, some like a lot of it has come in garbage time. Like that's probably where they've got some of those, you know, QB DK points kind of adding up just with like, I know like Darnold had all those points in that comeback mode, you know, so games like that. Um, but they've been a pretty solid defense, you know, overall, I think they're like number three in past DVOA. So that at least shows you like, you know, a lot of that is interceptions. I think they have like 14 interceptions, you know, which is one of the highest in the league, but 
Um, I'm not too scared of the spot for Mahomes. Uh, I think it was Jordan Vanek. I want to say, like, I think he was the one that I want to give credit to, but I read, he had some tweet that was talking about basically Mahomes' splits and like the games where he's gone off and the games he's, he's kind of been bad. And it was basically their ability to hit those on um, explosive plays. And Dallas has been allowing like some of the, you know, highest explosive pass rates in the league. So I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, like it, it basically sets up pretty well for him and Tyreek and some of those other speedsters they have. Uh, Mahomes has been a bit turnover, you know, worthy. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but he's, he's thrown a lot of picks this year, cleaned it up a bit of late, but the Cowboys, like I said, are definitely a team that can pounce on that. So they're very, you know, aggressive on defense. So that's something to watch out for. You know, we expect this game to be pretty back and forth high scoring, um, which is going to lead to a lot of dropbacks. So, you know, that that sets up opportunities for big plays, but also for turnovers. So um, I think that's that's mostly what I have to say about like the, you know, the passing game for KC. But there's nothing that scares me off, but there's nothing. It doesn't say like, oh, this is a smash spot, but it doesn't be like, oh, no, stay away. either. This is, I would say this is one of the better spots Mahomes has had lately. Yeah, I agree with that. Just the environment of the game. It's, it, we got a 56 total and a tight game, two and a half points. So this game is is set to go off. I mean, looking at the, the pace of play from both of these teams, they're both playing at a quick pace. The interesting thing, though, is they're both averaging about 67 plays. By the way, I track them, which is actual pass attempts and run attempts, not like special team stuff and some of the stuff that other sites track. But they're averaging about 67 plays each, but they're only allowing 58 plays each. So it, it'll be interesting to see if if those 67 plays come down a little bit, but I don't think it would matter if it does because of the these two teams being so efficient. Um, I mean, both teams, Dallas especially, is just loaded with weapons on offense, and KC has some like really high-quality weapons as far as the two that they've got at tight end and receiver. Um, kind of looking at this, too, from the angle of DFS, is we are looking at the highest total and the latest starting game other than that Arizona-Seattle game. So we're looking at a game that a lot of people are going to be looking to do late swaps on. So that this game could get weird or the, the slate could get weird if people are swapping into or out of this game. And it's just kind of a matter of whether or not you, you know, you're like playing blackjack with the rest of the field. Like, do you hold on your, your 18 or <laughs> do you swap off and try and go for, I mean, obviously if you're leaving, try and swap off to the less owned players but and maybe even swap out of this game altogether and hope that the field is wrong but the the way this game is set up it's just this is going to be an exciting game yeah this is one of those where over the course of season we have games where it's like you could go elsewhere and there's going to be good strategies in terms of focusing on other games but like this is the game least likely to fail i mean like vegas has it set high there's just so many reasons why these teams should be able to score on each other Um, The only thing that I would say is these games in Arrowhead have tended to be lower scoring for the chiefs versus the, when they, you know, travel It's just something about that environment, like the way they play. I I really don't know. It just, it's been like a several year trend now, um, even with Mahomes, a quarterback where these games are a little bit lower scoring at home. But again, that's like on a one week sample, like anything can happen. And these offenses both set up really well. So. Yeah. I also kind of took down a little note on ways this could fail. Since Dallas's bye week, they've averaged or they've allowed an average of 168 passing yards against. And until Mahomes' breakout last week, he had been averaging 216 passing yards for. So the passing games on the, the struggling Chiefs side and the tight Dallas side for the three weeks before last week's Mahomes breakout 
was pretty interesting. So this game could end up failing in in that way, possibly. But uh, I don't know. Vegas tends to to get these spots closer to right than wrong. So that was just my uh, my ways that can fail idea. Yeah. Yeah, that was like one of the things that I was thinking too, and pretty much right. Like the only way this spot could really fail was where I was going with that too. Uh, I guess what's interesting to me, or, or I'll throw out to you guys, is like, do we expect Diggs to cover Hill in this spot? Like, is he going to man him up? I would think that they're uh, going to move around, <laughs> try and keep yeah. him up. Unless he follows him he, into the spot, and still plays a lot of slot. Go ahead. Yeah, Hill plays a lot of slot, like Jess was saying. I, I was going to say, even if he does see him like a good amount, like I'm not super worried. I mean, Tyreek is like as matchup proof as it gets just with the way they use him and like his skill set. And honestly, Diggs, his aggressive mentality, like could work against him in certain spots where, you know, Hill is able to exploit that for huge plays, you know? So, I, I mean, you don't ever want, you'd rather a bad corner than a really good corner, obviously, but like, I'm not, that's just not something that I'm going to be like worried about. I think in terms of this environment, like this is exactly what you want for Tyree Hill, like team giving up explosive pass plays, high scoring environment, um, a team that's likely to force Kansas city to be aggressive the entire game. Like that all sets up extremely well for Tyree Hill. Yeah. Love that. I, I personally totally agree. Like I, I feel like I'm not worried about Hill at all in this spot. And I, I think if anything, it could potentially be interesting if the the field is maybe overrating that or thinking that Hill's going to match up and with him with Diggs and that's going to be an issue or something like that. And I don't I don't know if that's will be the the narrative that the field latches onto, but um, if that's the case or his ownership seems lower than it should be, I would definitely be interested because I totally agree with you, Lex. Think that it really sets up for him and against an aggressive corner like that, it could actually. Uh, be even better, you know, it could be a plus for Hill instead. What do we think of Kelsey in this spot uh, in the matchup? Anything specific? I mean, that's, it's kind of a neutral matchup. So you're probably going to get Kelsey at people going, Hey, you know, this isn't like a smash spot. Maybe I don't, don't need to pay up for Kelsey this week. So, but I would think uh, ownership will probably be higher on Hill than Kelsey in the spot, just because people, and then again, I, I probably should have looked at the slate before saying this. I don't know who you're paying down for at tight end, but yeah, I, I think if you want to win the tight end spot, you take Kelsey. Otherwise, if you're trying to do other things, and that seems to be kind of the spot where people tend to find the extra salaries paying down at tight end. And this being that somewhat neutral of a matchup could lead to him being a little bit less owned than he should be. Yeah, I think this is a pretty good spot for Kelsey. I mean, again, like high scoring environment, that's going to help him the same way it helps Tyreek. Dallas has allowed the six highest yards per attempt to tight ends. We've seen guys like Gronk had a smash game in week one against them. You know, other guys have put up solid days like Pitts and Conklin and Ertz and Ingram. Like, so they've just like, they've struggled with some of these better tight ends, especially the guys that split out wide, which Kelsey obviously does. Um, I think this will be an interesting week where I think Hill and Kelsey make some interesting stack potential together. Um, just because I, I keep like writing whenever I have a Chiefs game to write up, like, Hills um, and Kelsey's ceilings have often come like together, like where Kelsey can have nice games. Like he's very consistent in the games where Hill isn't putting up a big score, but in the games where Hill is smashing, 
Kelsey is almost always smashing too, because those games are always super high scoring. Like almost all of Hill's big scores in the last couple of years have come in these like 60 point total games. Um, so, and that usually sets up really well for Kelsey too. It's just so narrowly distributed between the two of them. I mean, Hill's targets in the last six games are 12, 13, 12, 9, 18, 11, 10. Like that's like, I mean, Devonte Adams, like, you know, Michael Thomas, like only those guys are getting that level of targets. And then Kelsey, you know, they're, they just, they're not throwing to these other guys. Like the other guys are topping off at like three, four targets. So I think both are in decent matchups. You have a high scoring environment. We expect Dallas to score a lot on the other side as we'll get to. Um, I think it's very interesting for both. And I, I do think that they can have, you know, ceiling games together. Um, and most people most likely stay away because if you spend up for one, you're probably, most people are just inclined not to spend it up for the other. But I, I do think that they're interesting this week. Agreed. Especially the ways you can do Dallas on the other side. You can put that Kelsey and Hill and you can put Dak in as your quarterback and go cheaper on some of the plays on the other side, which we'll get to in a little while. Um, I do want to bring up, Dallas's defense, they've allowed the fourth highest yards after catch per game. And that's where Nicole Hardman leads in all of Kansas City receivers for yak per reception. Uh, he's only getting four catches a game and he's getting it on like 5.4 targets per game, which isn't bad. But just by comparison, in one of the other games we're looking at, Manny Sanders costs $1,300 more and he's only getting like 0.2 more targets than him. Uh, Hardman has been. Uh, obviously, Sanders has done more of those opportunities, but just kind of this this matchup with the, the yards after catch and him being, I guess their, their yak guy. I, I was expecting to find Hill when I was doing the research. Once I figured out uh, Dallas had that high yak, I was looking to see which KC receivers would take advantage. And it, it ended up being Hardman over Hill. So for kind of a, a cheap, interesting, different angle play on this, it, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Especially, I mean, for the guys who are going to be, you know, playing a lot more entries, like this is the kind of game where you can stack through those other guys. Cause you know, when you're building a single lineup, you're obviously going to focus on the best plays, but there's plenty of ways that those guys can catch like big touchdowns or break it loose. Like you just said, um, when you said the, the Cowboys are really bad at yards after the catch, honestly, the first, my first thought was that just helps Kelsey because Kelsey's one of the best of that, you know, ever at the tight end position. So I think that, yeah, and this, this game is, is, is just great for fantasy. It should be. We said that probably before for Kansas City. <laughs> burned yeah, us. Failed in this, these spots, what, twice since we've talked about them? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, you guys are are stealing my talking points here. Uh, I was, <laughs> was, was going to go in on the, the secondary receivers because personally, I'm never going there playing Kansas City. It's just always Hill and or Kelsey for me because I am a big fan of playing them together and then playing the opposing quarterback. But I, I love that, Jess. I think that's a super sharp call. I think that's really interesting. Definitely, I was going to say for guys that are building multiple lineups, I think that's definitely viable in this spot. And I mean, even like borderline interesting for smaller, you know, like I'm single entry or three max, but like even for guys that are throwing in, you know, one to five lineups, if you, if you really want to, you know, get a little crazy with it. Like you're saying, Jess, for that price, uh, you know, one of my rules is like, if I'm looking to lower dollar receivers, I'm looking at guys who are in a game environment where they can produce and on offenses that can produce and Hardman would definitely fit that bill. So, um, that'll be pretty interesting to me as well. I'm not sure I'll go there, but 
interesting. Yeah. Uh, so the one. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. No, sorry. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, this isn't meant to, like, tell you not to do it or anything, but, like, I've been tracking. So, since 2019, so the last 48 games for the Chiefs, uh, the quartet of, like, Watkins, Hardman, Robinson, and Pringle have produced just five scores of 20-plus DK points. The two biggest ones there were Watkins, and they came when Tyreek Hill was not even in the game. Um, he was not playing. Uh, so, it's definitely been rare that one of those guys has actually put up, like, a big score. Now, they've put up a, quite a bunch of, like, you know, the 15 points, 16, so it's, like, if you can build around this game like that, sometimes that is maybe worth their price. Like if you're, you know, just betting on certain bankable points, but uh, it has been very rare for them to have these big games. And I think Watkins was like four of those five anyway. Um, so it's, it's just interesting that they've not really ever had those big games. Like as long as Kelsey and Hill are, are there. Jess, did you have something else there? I did, but I already forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't think it was that big of a deal. Oh, I think I think it was just uh so yeah, say you have Hardman for four thousand and the rest of the field has eighty two hundred wrapped up in and Tyreek. Tyreek has an okay game or gets hurt or whatever. So that Hardman play could be a cheap way to steal points if he is able to catch like a couple of touchdowns or get one in a hundred yard game or something like that. If he has one of those rare games for the the secondary receiver and it's hurting the the Hills or the Kelsey's. And that's just kind of a, a way to, to steal some points. And yeah, know. that's a great thought. I mean, they had that big, like Kendrick Bourne touchdown in that Cowboys uh, Patriots game where it's like something like that happens for Hardman. Like you break loose, you know, you get an 80 yard score and then it's like, that takes away one whole drive, like a bunch of potential points from the other guys. And just like you said, you're basically leveraging, you know, the two, two other guys. That's great. Yeah, so basically Demarcus <laughs> Robinson's gonna score a 70 yard touchdown this week and we're all gonna be pissed. <laughs> um all right. So before we go to the other side of the ball, is there anything worth talking about at running back? Are they getting CH back? I was looking this morning and they said he could be back, but I haven't seen since. Yeah, that's like the hard thing to determine. I would say if CH is playing, like I'm I'm probably personally just gonna stay away just with the uncertainty of like what his role is going to be with how Williams is played and like with him coming back from an injury and all that. Um, but if he doesn't, I do think Williams is slightly interesting. Like uh, the Dallas is their 18th in rush DVOA. Like they've allowed, they haven't allowed any like huge rushing days, but like they've allowed some like solid production on the ground. And they've also had a lot of um, guys succeed through the air, which uh, Williams is getting way more targets than uh, CEH ever did as a starter here. So he's interesting as a guy who could, you know, be using that, you know, just getting up like five, six, targets racking up a bunch of yards if he scores once or twice like that is a way to leverage against the other guys um again i probably am staying away if both are playing uh but he is williams would be interesting if it's another week without you know edward Tolaire. well kc has a buy after this game too so they could choose to rest ceh another week and then if that's the case then yeah i do have williams i have hardman and williams down as my interesting plays from this game. So I, I kind of do like Williams in the spot, especially after he showed what he could do last week. Yeah. I, I think I just was writing, like I didn't have the notes before, but I was just, let me see like his touch. So his touches since he took over as the starter, 25, nine, 19, 23, 20. So like he's getting more touches than CEH did. I mean, one, cause their starters not there. So like there's less guys, you know, to compete with, but um, like, again, like that's enough for him to do damage, especially in like a high scoring environment. 
All right. Let's roll to the other side of the ball here with Dallas. Uh, Kansas City hasn't allowed a crazy amount of touchdowns from opposing QBs, but they're still allowing the second most QB DK points per game. Lex, I'm just going to serve that up to you. Thoughts on Dak and how that sets up here. Yeah, so Casey ranks 27th in past DVOA on defense and Dallas ranks second on offense. Dak is probably playing like the best quarterback in football so far this year. He scored three touchdowns in six of his eight games. Um, Kansas City's like had some better games lately, I guess, but it's like, you know, against Derek Carr's Raiders, like with losing rugs and not really having a deep threat. And then, you know, Jordan Love and stuff. So like, I'm not totally buying into them being this, you know, improved defense quite yet. Uh, Dak is Dak is just crushing right now. And the, you know, the Dallas offense as a whole has so many ways to, they can succeed, like with these different players that I have a hard time believing they won't put up points in some fashion. Like, of course I could always go through the running backs or, you know, a pick six or something like that. But I do think, you know, as what's most likely to happen, I think this is a, a really good spot for Dak. I agree with that. Like just kind of going through some of the, the workbook stuff. Dallas has the top net DSR score. Uh, they have the number two net pass DVOA. Uh, Chiefs defense is getting better lately, but I mean, it's it's gone down over the last four weeks. So the, the Chiefs DVOA on defense for passing has gone down from 34.7 uh, four weeks ago to 21.5% as of this week or this past week. So they're definitely getting better, but that being said, Dallas still has the net, the number two net pass DVOA. Uh, they have the number one net adjusted sack rate matchup, and that's because Kansas City, with all their blitzing, still doesn't get to the quarterback. And then uh, they have the number two net adjusted line yards matchup. So Dallas has, and that offensive line, especially if they get Smith back, they have the advantage on the defensive line. And if they're going to give Dak time to sit there and pick them apart, then he's going to be able to, to find whichever receivers he wants. Um, I was looking at uh, looking at target shares too, and uh, KC does a great job of taking away wide receivers. That's been something that's been common with them throughout the years, and this year it's not been as significant. Um, but they're still funneling the third highest percentage of passes into the running back and tight end positions, uh, which has led to the seventh highest yards after catch per game. So their teams are dumping off on them and letting their their ball carriers run the ball. Uh, so this, uh, again, kind of looking at interesting plays, like trying to look at other angles from the game and the obvious that that leads me to Dalton Schultz and possibly even Tony Pollard, who had 14 opportunities last week. So there, there are some other avenues besides just the big guys. And I, I do, I love Dak in this game. I love the, the receivers. Um, it's going to be hard though, because of the the way that the corners play and the way the chiefs defense plays and that, that blitzing is what gets the ball out quick. So the kind of looking at the checkdowns with uh, Zeke and Pollard and Schultz and some of that. And then lamb went back to the slot for the most of the game last week. So that gives you another check down option short. So those are kind of like the, the four guys or five guys I'm looking at um, including Dak. Lex, do you have immediate thoughts based on that? Uh, receivers, or I should say pass catchers in general. Uh, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, exactly what Jess was saying. Like Kansas City is, they're just generally going to try to limit wide receiver production. Like that's what they've been doing under Spagnolo for the last few years. But that being said, like a few guys have had some huge games this year, like Hollywood Brown and Mike Williams and um, AJ Brown. Like we all put up huge games. 
fight again, you're fighting against like what their strategy is. You're just hoping that they can break free of that. Lamb has seemed like the most likely guy to do that. Just Cooper and Gallup have not been quite as productive. Um, I I think it's hard to really like peg those guys. Like they all have really high ceilings, but I was really surprised when I was like looking through the box scores and like Gallup um, in so far with Dak and McCarthy, like dating back to last year, he has like one game over like 50 yards, like which was in like a game Dak through for like 500 versus Seattle where he, otherwise he's got like 50, 58, 29, 36, 30, 42. So it's like, yeah, he has certainly has potential. Like he can put up a big game. Like, right. You're betting on this environment. Like he's, he's a super talented guy on the outside who can, you know, have a couple really nice plays, but he's also the guy that's seeing the most, the least amount of volume by far, like lamb and Cooper just have better, more secure target floors. Um, if lamb works in the slot more, um, that's probably better. I mean, I guess you'll see a little bit of Matthew. Um, but again, like Kansas city is just generally trying to force it away from like the outside. Um, I do really like what he said about Schultz. Uh, Kansas city has been struggling with tight ends like all year. Like there's been some really big performances allowed and like a lot of teams have had success through their tight ends. Schultz has had just two games under 45 yards with Dak so far this year. Now, granted like Gallup's back. So it muddles the target distribution just slightly. Um, but I do think that he is one of the clearest paths to success in this matchup from the passing game. Yeah. I'm pretty interested in Dalton Schultz myself. I think the, the tricky thing then becomes if you're wanting to play Kelsey in this spot too, then you kind of have to figure out what that looks like. Are you really going to go double tight end? You, you could, I mean, that would set you apart and in a game environment like this, uh, it's one of those things that I think people kind of have like a, a hard rule of like, Oh, like don't play double tight end. Like it's, it's, you know, my CV or whatever, but uh, for these guys that are, are actually big parts of their offense are relatively big parts. And, you know, Kelsey's a guy that plays more like a receiver in terms of his production and stuff like that. Anyways, I think that's viable. I think also somewhat interesting. If you, if you were to uh, play Schultz over Kelsey thinking that, you know, maybe Kelsey ends up having a, a 20 point game and Schultz gets 15 or something like that. And you're, saving the salary going down to him. I think that's somewhat viable. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, just some top of mind thoughts that I think is kind of interesting because I, I am interested in Dalton Schultz. I, I, I struggle in spots like this personally, trying to, you know, as a, a single entry guy, trying to figure out like what Dallas receiver I want to pull the trigger on is just, it's just like, I, I don't like going to a spot where I don't have some amount of, something point pointing me in that direction. So I guess the other thing I'll say is like, um, I generally don't mind playing Dak naked. It's a little bit less desirable in this spot simply because he's probably going to have a pass catcher that he brings with him. And so, you know, kind of would hurt to miss out on that. But, um, I, you know, I, I think it's still potentially viable. I don't know any, any thoughts you guys have based on those things. Uh, I mean, I think, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. If Dak is going to spread the ball around, then that would be fine. Like you can have naked Dak. I've done that before, like with Russell Wilson too, because instead of trying to bet on which receiver between Metcalf and Lockett, I just bet on Wilson. And I think it was a Dallas game too. And I brought back Dallas pieces and it worked out pretty well. Um, but going kind of back to your double tight end point, I think it it's a rule if you're doing it just to squeeze stuff in. 
Like if you're, if you're sitting there, you're building out your roster and you get to your flex and you have like 3,100 and you're like, well, shoot, the tight ends look better than the receivers down here. That's when you don't want to do it. When you do want to do double tight end is when you're betting on a game environment like this, you've got 56 points. You've got Schultz in a good matchup. You've got Kelsey in a good matchup. And Schultz is, he's actually more expensive than Gallup by $400. So putting him or Kelsey in your flex, however you want to do it. And Kelsey's basically like a receiver anyway. So if you are going to go to a double tight end, this would be the type of game environment to do it. All right. That's pass catchers. Jess, you kind of briefly hit on Pollard. One of the things that I noted Lex in uh, your notes was that Zeke has been seeing pretty solid usage. You know, I kind of, we've kind of, kind of talked about these two guys a little bit here on the pod, but honestly, his, his yardage output has been not that exciting for, for the usage he's getting used. He had like a few games over a hundred. And I think the the top game was like 143 or something like that, but the other three were still under like 120. So I mean, like fine, I guess, but it's really not great from a, a ceiling perspective. So I don't, I don't know what I'm thinking here in terms of running back, not like super exciting. I feel like these guys' ceilings are just relatively low. What Lex thoughts on that? Yeah. I'd say like Zeke's usage, like compared to a lot of the field of running backs is still solid, but from what we used to see from him and like from some of the high end guys, like it's definitely fallen off. Like he had a nice, like three or four game stretch in the middle of the season where he had um, a bunch of like 22 plus touch games. But other than that, like he's mostly capped off to like 17, 18, like he's had some 13 games. So it's like, he's really not getting quite as much usage as he used to, you know, Pollard's just a really effective second guy that they can, you know, use as like fresh legs and some different explosive ability. Um, Elliot's lost a lot of that ability to like hit the, you know, the edge of the defense and like have that burst. Like he just doesn't really have that anymore. So that's part of where you just lose those big plays. So he really needs the extra volume to like put up really big yardage days, which he just hasn't had outside of that little um, stretch there. This isn't the type of game, at least I wouldn't expect it to be the type of game where they are, you know, sitting on a 20 point lead and just churning out Zeke, you know, the entire second half. But it's certainly possible with how we've seen some of these, you know, Chiefs offensive games go. Um, the the Chiefs have like not been good on the ground as usual under Spagnolo, but they still don't allow like a ton of running back production on the ground just because you have, you know, the Mahomes offense on the other side and they have that sort of like bend don't break, like they tighten up in the in the red zone. I think I wrote, I mean, they've only, yeah, so they allowed six running back touchdowns in the first four games, and now they've allowed zero in the last six games. So like, it's like that same thing that Belichick tries to do. They're just very good at limiting, you know, those goal line rushes um, for turning into touchdowns now where they have been weak against running backs is through the air. Um, Zeke and Pollard both get like a decent amount of usage. Um, you're basically betting on one of them getting like an outlier game where they can, they are getting the majority of that usage in this game, or if they fall behind, like Pollard's probably getting a little bit more, but you're never going to see one or the other take too much of it just because Zeke is so effective as a pass protector. Like he's not going to just lose his spot on the field, even if they're trailing, um, just because he serves that role so effectively. So again, it's hard when guys are like splitting this much work and Zeke is still priced pretty high. Um, it just really limits that ceiling, um, and makes it harder to like stomach. 
Yeah, and I think with Zeke being priced so high, he's the most expensive uh, non-quarterback for the Cowboys. He's actually probably more expensive than Dak. I, was just, I have the flex up right now. He's the most expensive, so he's probably going to be the least used of all the Cowboys. Uh, getting Smith back will help, just having that offensive line intact. So if you want to bet on a game where Dallas's offensive line just completely dominates the KC defensive line, they're running the ball a lot. They're keeping Mahomes off the field. Uh, maybe the defense comes up with a, a couple of flips on short fields and he gets a couple of touchdowns. Then I think that's where Zeke could work. Um, I mean, that's the story you're telling yourself if you're paying up for him as the highest priced cowboy. And I don't think that that's out of the question. It could totally work. And then there's also the story you tell yourself if you're, you're taking Tony Pollard, it's, hey, these guys are getting pretty similar amount of opportunities per game. Zeke might be getting, you know, not that five extra or so per game, but for, uh, sorry, I should look at his price while I'm talking here. I think Paul, yeah, he's 47 compared to 77 for a $3,000 discount, getting similar amount of opportunities, maybe just a little bit less. If it's Pollard that rips off a couple of touchdowns and you get him for 47 or 4,700, then you basically you're going to have to come up with your idea of, of why that's going to work. Cause I think the offensive line mis mismatch is better for Zeke's favor. So in that type of uh, like scenario or what you're telling yourself is you're, you're basically saying this is going to be Dallas playing catch up. They're going to have uh, Pollard on the field, catching passes or Zeke gets hurt or something like that. So I, I think Pollard's a, a solid play for like showdown, or if you're just playing the afternoon slate or something like that. But for, for main slate, unless you're getting to, you know, 20 plus 25 plus rosters, I, I don't think you need to play Pollard in this game. Yeah. I think as you, you guys are saying there, I think it is a, it's an interesting spot for guys who are playing a ton of rosters because there is some fun stuff you can do. Like you're saying, I mean, it's like crazy to me that Zeke is that much, honestly, but given that, like you're saying, that's all that's going to do is drive his ownership down. And in a game like this where, you know, they could easily score five touchdowns. If Zeke has two of those and he breaks one or something like that, like you said, he's, you know, getting the, you know, uh, lineman back uh, like it could happen. So like, if you, if you are playing those larger field tournaments, have more entries playing, that is going to be, you know, most of the field is going to be on deck and pass catchers. And so that is viable from a, a game theory standpoint. Yep. Only thing I'd even add is like right now, what his usage is saying is like, he's rarely going to put up a score. That's like out of puts you out of reach, right? Like, he can definitely put up a score that you would like to have, but it's going to be very hard for him to put up a score where you're like, wow, I, I have no chance that since I didn't roster Zeke. Which at his price makes him pretty restrictive. Yep. All righty. First game in the books long as usual. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. That's a good one though. Uh, let's roll into Buffalo or sorry, Indy at Buffalo. Uh, so we got the bills here who are playing at a really high level on both sides of the ball. Colts have obviously rounded into form and are playing competitively, but they're, they're definitely going to have their work cut out for them here. So let's start with looking at the Buffalo side of the ball. Uh, we, we were actually talking a little bit pre pod 
uh, we actually haven't, I think we've talked about Buffalo yet on the pod. So this will be kind of fun. Uh, but for the Buffalo offense, this actually sets up as a strength on weakness matchup in that the, you know, what Buffalo is good at and what they want to do goes very well for them in this situation with the Colts struggling to defend the pass. Lex, how are we feeling about Josh Allen and what the Colts are providing in terms of resistance or lack thereof? Yeah, I think it's interesting just because this Colts pass events is definitely struggling more than any of the other ones that they've had under Eberflus. Um, they've just given up a like season best passing days to like one, two, three, four, five, like five different quarterbacks this year. Um, the thing that'll be interesting here is like, so Josh Allen could easily put up like a 300 yard, three touchdown game. Like wouldn't be surprised at all, but the Colts are also so far this year, the best team at forcing turnovers. And we know Allen's history with some crazy plays. Now the last few years where he's been an approved quarterback, he's definitely cut down on that. So it's, it's, he's a better quarterback than he was in those first two years where he's kind of turning the ball over a lot, but like, that's still something when you have an aggressive defense like this, it's going to lead to Allen, you know, having a lot of success, but also being that very at risk of, you know, losing possessions to like some turnovers. Um, I'm not too scared of it. Like, I mean, having said all that, you know, like you said, like Allen's been really good. Like he provides like a really high rushing floor, obviously. He's like eight plus rush touchdowns in every season of his career. You know, he's the Colts have allowed like 56 and 62 yards on the ground to Tannehill and Lamar. Like they haven't faced too many rushing quarterbacks, but um, yeah, I think it's a pretty good spot. Like, I think, like I was saying, like the way it fails obviously is the turnovers or, I mean, they can succeed even with turnovers if there's high enough volume, but that would certainly limit the ceiling. Um, but I do think that it's a pretty good overall spot for the Buffalo pass offense. Yeah, I agree. The Colts defense is great at stopping the run and Buffalo doesn't run the ball anyway. So <laughs> except for, except for last week, well, I mean, they're playing the jets, but that three rushing touchdowns. <laughs> right. It was, I think it was four. Cause uh, McKenzie had one too. Or I think, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I thought I remembered four when I was looking at the box score uh, charting stuff, but uh yeah, and Indy's defense has been accommodating to quarterbacks passing outside wide receivers and tight ends. So that's kind of where Buffalo's the strongest, and that's probably where they're going to go to when they're calling their plays. Uh, they have the number seven net pass DVOA score. They have the number four net adjusted sack rate matchup, and the run matchup is the second worst in net run DVOA. So. I mean, just all indicators point to this being a, a pass happy game from the Buffalo side. I would say the only way that fails is if Indy can't keep pace and Buffalo gets out to enough of a lead or it takes them a long enough time to get up to that insurmountable lead where they haven't really put up a ton of points. But by the time they do, it's already late third, early fourth, and then they start slowing it down. Um but I mean, this it's got a 50 point total. Bills are favored by a touchdown there at home. Uh, I have no idea what the weather's going to be like yet. I haven't checked that. So there's that as a factor as well. Um, but the Colts have allowed the most passing touchdowns, they've allowed the most multi passing touchdown games, uh, seven out of their 10. And the ones that they didn't allow multi touchdown passing games in were the bomb cyclone game in Santa Clara and then a game against the Texans and the Jaguars that just don't, they, they can't pass. 
And uh, <laughs> speaking of the Jaguars, they've played both of these teams in the last two weeks, and they've actually played both of them tough. So I wonder if uh, defensive coordinators are plugging in those Jaguars <laughs> teams. <laughs> How do we stop each other? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, honestly, just off that, like, I think I agree with like a lot of what Jess was saying. Um, the hard thing about the Buffalo receivers is just like volume, obviously, just because they can be spread out or like, you know, the touchdowns can go to, you know, Lee Smith, you know, whoever the heck it is, you know, one of those backup tight ends and whatnot, or like last week, the, all those running back touchdowns, like with Breda <laughs> and whatnot. But, um, and I think that's also what makes digs hard is like, he, I think jam has been harping on him, just not being justified at his price, like kind of the usage that he gets. But of course, then last week he smashes, you know, when we, when you like move off and this is another spot where he can have a big day, like the Colts. Well, like I, they've generally been good against receivers under Everflus, but some, for some reason this year, like they are just getting crushed by all these guys. I mean, like 11 receivers have 60 plus yards. I mean, you have a bunch of guys over a hundred, um, I do think that Sanders is like interesting just because he still has that deep role. So he can have like some of those just big gains that, you know, put him up for a big day. Um, but obviously you're just, you have to, those have to happen for him to have that kind of score just because he's not really getting super high volume. So it's just, he has to hit on those plays. Um, Dawson Knox is slightly interesting just because the Colts have allowed the third highest success rate to tight ends. There's been some, not like huge days um, just because of the level of guys they've played, but like Andrews obviously smashed and Kasiki had a good day. Arnold had a solid day. Um, and then Knox is like not getting super high volume, but he has scored a lot of touchdowns and he's someone that as long as he's on the field and this Buffalo pass offense, like he's a threat, you know? So I, I, I do think that he's somewhat interesting. Um, I'm not going to be playing the running backs. I'll stick to the passing game in this game. But, um, and like I said, it, I, I'm just going to repeat it. It's very hard to figure out, you know, week to week, you know, which guy is going to have that big day. But like, if you're playing Josh Allen, like his most likely path to success, like a big day is probably going to bring one of these receivers with them. Um, just most likely at least. Yeah. And I'm just betting on <clears throat> big plays. And then you're looking at Sanders. He's got the, the highest eight on, on the team. And actually, uh, where did my chart go? He is pretty high. Yeah, he's seventh and a dot across all receivers with at least 10 targets. So betting on if you're betting on Allen and the big plays coming from bombs, then that's who you want to go with. Uh, if you're betting on volume, Stefan Dix is seeing a target on 25% of his routes. He's getting 9.3 targets per game. Um, and then even Beasley, like, but Beasley, it seems like he's they're just like chucking him the ball right at the line of scrimmage. And they're like, all right, go find some yards. So I'm, I'm kind of turned off on Beasley lately. I've, I've used him earlier in the year and he's done well. Uh, I don't know if this is quite the matchup for him. I think I would rather focus on the outsides with Diggs and Sanders. And then with Knox, he's just coming back from a broken hand. He only had one target last week. And the thing with Knox is he's as wide <laughs> draft him in best ball is he has been a problem with drops like his whole career. Like he's always been set up. He's been in this offense. He's had that opportunity and they keep trying to like make Knox a thing. And then they finally did. And he breaks his hand. It's like, so does he regress at this point? Like, I, I'm not quite sure what to do with Knox. I'm going to leave him alone. So for me, it's, it seems pretty easy. If I'm betting on this being a, a big game out of the passing game, I'm uh, taking Allen and I'm bringing Diggs and Sanders with him, especially with Sanders last couple games being down. It's like kind of one of those 
the, the way the universe ebbs and flows he's due for his big game. <laughs> yeah. I like a lot of that. Um, yeah. And Knox is certainly like Gabriel Davis has seen a usage uptick lately, you know, since Knox broke that hand. Um, I think I wrote something for Beasley. So he has three games this year of 80 plus yards, 98, 88, 110. And then he has the other five where he's combined for 105 total yards in those five games. So it's like, he really kills you if it's not one of those games where he just like racks up a ton of catches. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think that Sanders and Diggs are easily the best plays from the passing game here. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that's important to note here too, is that Buffalo has shown to be adaptable, you know, from a coaching standpoint when it comes to how they're attacking. And so I would, I, I'd be surprised to see them not go like, like pretty pass heavy here, which sets Allen up to have a nice day. I think him naked is, is viable here to, you know, because he does have the upside with his legs, uh, should have, you know, high ceiling in terms of the passing game. And then, uh, and then with the, the receivers, I think you guys kind of hit it on the head with all those it's, yeah. Like you said, with Beasley, that's kind of a crazy stat there. Diggs, you know, yeah, he did have his game last week and, you know, he'll have a couple of those, but in terms of, you know, what the, the perception is from the field and his price, it's still, he's still rarely going to kill you. And then as you guys were saying too, I kind of like Sanders. It's interesting to me because of his, because of his ceiling, because of his role in the offense. And especially if this does prove to be a higher passing volume game, uh, then, you know, that only kind of increases both his ceiling and his floor a little bit. So yeah, a lot of this I think is going to, to really depend on the other side of the ball, which we'll get to in a second here because it's, you know, the, the ceiling is really going to be kind of set by, by what Indy can do in this spot. Uh, but before we move on, I mean, I'm not interested in any of the running backs in this spot because of the reasons that we've talked about. I don't really even feel the need to go into it. Uh, any you thoughts you guys have there? No, I don't think we should even bother with those running backs. Like assuming they're all healthy, right? Like last week there was like, you know, maybe Moss missed and then Singletary was in a good spot, but when they're both playing, like there's just, there's just no reason to go there, especially against a team that's really good against running back production like that. That's just like, you know, doubly bad. Um, and then the one thing I will say kind of based off what you were saying is we're going to talk about the Colts offense and like whether they can keep pace or push Buffalo at all. But we also did just see, you know, Allen and Diggs have a really nice game against the jets when the jets had no ability to push it. So we do at least know like that, you know, the Buffalo, while they haven't been quite as aggressive passing the ball as like last year, um, they still have, you know, they're still smart enough to know they're not going to have success in the ground here and they're going to be, you know, be most effective to the air. So I, I do think that they can succeed even without a strong Colts offensive day. Um, but obviously, yes, in a, the, the best path to them having a huge day is if the Colts can make them more aggressive on the, you know, on their side too. But, um, I don't think it's like required. Yeah. I'm just going back to the running backs now with Brita involved. That's just a third wheel in there. That's, that's something to stay away from. Yep. 
I, I like wasn't even paying attention to him. So like when I saw him on the box score last week, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what, what is going on here? Um, but yeah. Fast. We could use him back on our team. Well, Mitchell's playing fast too. <laughs> All right. So yeah, with that, let's head on to the indie side. The So the Bills D has quietly been really, really strong, both against the pass and the run. Wentz has been playing well, but he's definitely got his work cut out for him here. Jess, I'll throw it right back to you here. Thoughts on how Wentz sets up. Do we have any reason to believe that he should have some success here? Uh, I'm going to say that I don't just on the surface. Uh, The Colts offense is only ranked 16th and drive success rate. And they're going against Buffalo's number two ranked defensive drive success rate. And that takes them all the way from like 16 as their own to a a number four in their net DSR based on actual scores. Uh, And he has the second worst net pass DVOA and Buffalo defense is allowing the fewest pure passing fantasy points to quarterbacks. They're only allowing nine points per game. So if you're betting on Wentz, you're betting on his legs. He's going to need to run the ball. He's going to need to not throw these weird interceptions that he starters. Like he's been making some bonehead plays the past few weeks. Um, and then like, I, I don't really know that he's going to be able to hit Pittman deep. I think they'll probably have white on Pittman for most of the game. If, if they're going to have him travel at all, or just, it kind of seems like that's the side of the field where, where he's usually at. But Buffalo's forced the fourth shallowest A dot against the fewest air yards allowed per game. They're number one in pressure rate, uh, which is forcing those quick throws. And then uh, they, if, if anywhere, if Wentz is going to have success anywhere, it's to a position he doesn't typically throw to, and that's going to be his slot receiver. Um, I think he had one year with Nelson Aguilar where they they connected well. I think it was Aguilar. I can't remember now, but. He doesn't, they don't really throw. They're only thrown to the the slot 6.1 times per game, which is one target fewer than league average. So it's going to take some really good game planning from Frank Reich to put this game plan together to beat the Bills. Um, As far as as betting on Wentz, no. Betting on the passing game in general or any of the pass catchers, no. Uh, It would be if if Indy's going to be able to keep pace in this game, it's because Taylor's ripping off big runs again. And it's also possible that. Uh, Naeem Hines is having a big game. Like he's the one leading them in the passing game, just on quick, short dump off screens, just stuff to stay away from those corners and try and get into the middle of the field. You also have a couple injuries for noting on the Buffalo defense. Uh, They were without Star Latoule last week and they could still be without him because he's still in COVID protocol. I don't know if he actually had COVID or what his deal was, but when I checked this morning, he's still in the protocol. And then uh, their linebacker Edmonds is uh, limited, I think today. So if he's out again, and that's just something in the middle of the field, that's going to help Taylor, uh, and help Hines. I think if they're going to try and one, two punch with Taylor and Hines to stay in this game, and then maybe use Wentz on some scrambles and get creative in the passing game. That's, that's the only way I can really see Indy coming up with, you know, their half of the game in order to keep pace in this game and give us a real exciting game. And, you know, (laughs) yeah. Um, this is probably the best Buffalo defense McDermott has put out there. Number one in pass DVOA. They've allowed six pass touchdowns to 15 interceptions right now. Like I have, I, I think Wentz has been playing well this year, but I have zero interest in attacking that. Um, especially when his like best receiver Pittman is the one most likely to go up with Buffalo's biggest strength and Tredavious white. 
Uh, I do like what he was, what Jess was saying about the slot, you know, Pascal is actually the most likely to take advantage of that in the slot. But again, he's seeing such low volume and like, you're still, you, he has to score a touchdown to even like get close to having a score that matters. Um, so I, I probably will just stay away from the passing game as a whole Buffalo. I think I wrote like they've allowed zero 20 plus point DK scores. Only six guys have even got over 60 yards and they've only allowed three wide receiver touchdowns. This is in nine games. So like they've been, they've just been extremely tough um, versus the pass game. I do think what Jess was saying about like Taylor and Hines is interesting um, just because, you know, I think they're more likely, especially if those injuries, you know, remain for Buffalo, like they're the most likely to have some success in the middle of the field or like attacking the linebackers. But all that said, Buffalo has allowed the fewest DK points to running backs by like a whole like 1.2 points over the next closest. So like they've been really tough for running backs too. So I'm, I'm honestly probably just staying away from this game from the cold side entirely. They're only applied for like 21 points. Um, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if they went, you know, lower than, you know, below that. I Taylor has been super consistent at putting up yards. Um, so he's always like in play, I guess, just because of how talented he is and how, you know, he can, he's one of the few guys in the league who can break those like 80 yard gains. Um, you know, we did see Gibson have one of those like 70 yard, you know, jailbreak screens versus, uh, the bills earlier this year, which Taylor's certainly capable of, but, um, again, you're, you're just betting on something crazy. And I just think it's, it's, it, it's such tough sledding for this Colts offense in this game. I mean, even with them playing well, I mean, they just struggled against Jacksonville's defense last week, like Buffalo's defense is just another animal this year. So I'm, I'm most likely like just not touching anyone from that side. Yeah. That's <laughs> especially just- at Taylor. He's 8,300. So you're taking a big leap of faith on that. Yeah. I mean, that stat that the stat that you rattled off, Lex, is yeah, crazy. And then you also you didn't mention it, but from your notes, uh, I was pretty surprised to see that only Tampa Bay and New Orleans have allowed fewer running back rushing yards. And those are two teams that, you know, we are obviously talking about how elite their run defenses are. I mean, it's like, they're scary good. I don't know. Do you guys, I feel like they're, it's they're, they're, they don't really have that perception yet. I don't know if that's just me or if uh, it feels like the field isn't quite there in terms of like understanding how good this defense really is. Yeah. Maybe it has something to do with like last year, they had sort of a down year for, you know, McDermott and his defenses. Cause they've been pretty solid throughout his tenure there, but this is just like a whole nother level. I mean, when you're allowing the fewest, you know, quarterback, wide receiver, and running back DK points. Like nobody's able to rush on you or pass on you. Um, and it's it's not like they have an opportunities. I mean, Buffalo scores a ton of points. Like you're going to be playing in comeback mode, so maybe that helps the defense, I guess. But like, it's just such a tough spot to attack right now. Like it's it's just so tough for these offenses. And, and kind of to add, just looking at the the teams that Buffalo's played in order to get where they are in those statistics. You've got Pittsburgh, who in week one, I mean, they beat them. Pittsburgh beat the Bills, but they they weren't a great offense. Miami, Washington, Houston. Then they finally, they played KC and Tennessee, and those were tough games. And then they're back to Miami, Jacksonville, the Jets. So I'm not saying that their defense is a mirage, but they also haven't played anybody. <laughs> um, so, the, and especially going back to the injuries without Latule and without Edmonds, I think that's the only chance for Indy to have any success is going to be on the ground and it's going to come right up the middle. I think that was a good point too, because like 
one of the only few good offenses they did face in there, you know, Henry did have, you know, 20 for like, what was it like 143 and three touchdowns. Like Henry's a different beast. Like he is able to like, you know, break free of like a good defensive structure just by like, you know, one crazy stiff arm and an explosion. But it, it is a good point. You know what I mean? Like it's not been the stiffest competition. I, I just, I don't know if the Colts are the team that I would bet on to break that trend. Yeah, I think just to <clears throat> sum up what you guys said, it's like, regardless, yeah, definitely staying away from the passing game for me personally. Uh, Taylor, yeah, interesting a bit, but with his price, be hard hard for me to go there and just because you do, you know, his ceiling stays intact in this spot, but his floor is definitely lowered based on how they're playing and based on likeliest game flow scenario, Hines would be a little bit more interesting to me if he was having a better year. And if they were, um, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, I think just Wentz, Wentz does not have the propensity to, to dump off, which he might have to in this spot, but it just, you know, it's not his preferred way. So yeah, I guess with all that just feels like there are definitely going to be stronger places to go um, than, than the indie side of the ball. All right, that's two games down. Let's head on to our last one here. We've got New Orleans at Philadelphia. Always fun to talk New Orleans with Lex. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I mean, Philly, they've started to kind of shift into what it seems like their identity is or what they're trying to make it be. Um, But they're still a team that's kind of hard to pin down as like non-exciting from a DFS perspective, but with that, let's kind of just jump right into their side of the ball and how they match up against this new Orleans D Lex thoughts on that and how Jalen hurts sets up here. Yeah. New Orleans defense is, it's like weird this year. I mean, they've, they've generally been pretty tough, but they've definitely had some weeks where, you know, quarterbacks have had some success. Uh, I don't think it's like the best spot for Hertz. He had a pretty nice game. It was his first career start last year versus this Dennis Allen Saints defense last year. And he had a pretty nice game. I think he had like a hundred plus rushing yards and it was him and Sanders broke the like three season long streak they had going of preventing hundred yard rushers. Uh, but I, I, it's not a spot that I'm like, I, I'd rather look for other guys. And, and I'm not saying you can't hit here. Um, and just new Orleans has been pretty tough overall for these passing games. And like, you know, the guys who have had success are like, you know, Brady and Matt Ryan and stuff. So I'm not super interested, I guess over the years, I will say like Dennis Allen's defenses have had some trouble with these mobile quarterbacks, um, especially on like third and longs where like they'll have, they'll be really nice in coverage, but they won't have anyone left on the quarterback and the quarterback runs. And it's like a 10 yard first down and they'll just hit, do that repeatedly throughout the game. So that's something that would definitely benefit hurts. Like, obviously I'm sure they're going to be aware of his rushing ability in a, you know, more than they were last year in that first start. Um, but like, I don't really have much to say just because I don't think it's very exciting with Hertz. Like he's always in play just with that rushing floor. Like he can never be counted out from having a nice score, but this isn't like one of those spots where I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I'm excited to play Hertz. Like it's, it's, it's a tough pass defense. Yeah. Saints defense is tough all the way around. I mean, number one against the run and then the Eagles have been, I don't, I don't know if necessarily they've like found this new identity or if they've just decided to, to actually like 
take advantage of their opponent's weaknesses because they have played four pretty weak run defenses all in a row there. And that now, now they have to change it up. This is to me, like when we were picking games, I was looking at this game and it's, it's less exciting from a DFS perspective and more exciting from real football. Like I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how this game plays out because the, that, that bubbles burst, like they're going to have to, I don't know that they're going to be able to run as well. Now, granted last year, there's the, you know, the 106 yards by Ertz or I mean, Hertz, <laughs> and then uh, Sanders ran for 115 and two touchdowns. I just, it, that's not what's going to happen this year uh, per se. Uh, Saints defense is too tough against the run. And then I don't know that hurts with by hiding him for all these past few weeks. Uh, I know they opened it up a little bit last week and Devonte Smith had some nice connections, but did, did that kind of like slow down his progression and as far as becoming better or is he, did he get better because they took more off of his plate? Like the game is slowing down for him now because he's got less that he's been doing, but I, I don't love this spot as far as a DFS goes for uh on the Eagles side and if I did then it would be Hurts and it would be because I think he could run for a lot of yards and a couple of touchdowns um and then I don't know maybe like one of the receivers or something like if, if you're looking to bring something along because if Devontae Smith is going to get shadowed by Lattimore then he's going to have to throw somewhere and you know if, if Goddard's open in the middle of the field the Saints have been you know just kind of neutral against tight ends that's a spot where he could go or if you really want to bet on something crazy, I mean, you go with Quez Watkins deep downfield. He's only 3,700, and he's he's the type who can catch three for 110 and a touchdown. So I don't know. It's just it's going to be an interesting real life football game. Um, and I find whenever we talk about these games, I do kind of end up dipping into them when I'm playing. Like if I get to like 20 lineups or so, then I'll just I'll stack pretty much every game at least once, or at least every game of interest once. So. Uh, if I get to 20 games or 20 lines, then I'm definitely going to be playing around with this one. And I, I, I kind of don't hate Hurts in this spot as much as, as I think the Saints can totally take him away and not allow him to run the ball because they're going to be prepared for it this year. Then that's going to open something up for him passing. So if they take away his running, then he's hitting Quez or he's hitting Goddard. So one way or the other, New Orleans is going to have to make a concession. And, and somewhere, I think that the Eagles can find a way to put up some points in this game and it's going to have to come through Hertz. Yeah. Um, so Sanders had like that huge day last year. And I think like 82 of his 115 came on like one run where Quan like took a bad angle and he just took off. Um, so it's always possible with a guy like Sanders, like he has that ability, uh, but again, he's getting way less usage than he did even last year. Um, the bet, the guys who've had the most success first new Orleans are either, scoring like two touchdowns because they're, you know, Antonio Gibson getting that red zone work, which none of these Eagles guys other than like Howard really get, or they're catching like a ton of passes and like going crazy through the air, which none of these Eagle, Eagles running backs are really doing. Like Gainwell had like even one nice game, but other than that, nobody is really, you know, having a big market share through the air, which generally happens when you have a guy like Hertz who can run. Um, even last week, you know, it's a little bit skewed because the Titans like had two touchdowns that came like one after an an end zone interception that was called back. And then a, like a punt return fumble, you know, in the red zone. So it was like, they got like a really short field. So even that, you know, skews the defensive, like a little bit in a negative way for the saints where like, they really played much better than that. So it's just a tough spot. I think the receivers are the only place that I'd, I'd look to like slightly interesting just because yeah, Quez he's had some, like, he hasn't really had any nice weeks, but he's, he's dropped like some big plays. Like he dropped a touchdown, I think last week he had a, 
another week where he dropped like a big one. So he's a guy that's like really close to having that big day just because if he hits on those, you know, he's getting used down the field. The Saints are definitely prone to some of those bigger plays. Um, Smith is interesting just because he is a kind of guy actually that Lattimore can tend to struggle with just with the really refined route running and like kind of shiftiness. Um, but again, he is, it's hard to know. They haven't matched up. I don't know if they'll like put him as a shadow on him. Um, they didn't really have him shadow AJ Brown last week, but they held AJ Brown to like one catch. So, you know, Smith is definitely in danger of, he can put up a nice game, but he's also had some really bad duds. that just kind of like crater your whole roster too. So I'm not like super excited to play anyone from this side of the ball. Uh, but again, like Jess was saying, like you, as long as you have hurts and like his rushing ability, you've got like speedsters, like Quez Watkins, like who's cheap as well. Like there is interest in like those kind of plays. I'm just, I'm personally just mostly staying away. Oh, and the only guy who would be have even more bankable volume, like other than Smith would be Goddard. And the saints have just been extremely tough first tight ends in these two years since they got Malcolm Jenkins back and they've got Demario Davis, like Quan Alexander. I just, this is not a defense I ever like to attack with a tight end. Yeah, I wish this defense was poor against the pass <laughs> so that we could at least use it a little bit more as, you know, not even necessarily a full like pass funnel, but just so we saw some path to Hertz being able to have success or just volume, right? Like, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to run here for the most part. Like, sure, there's always a chance of a run being broken or something like that. But for the most part, like that's just not going to happen. And as Jess alluded to early, it's like, if the Eagles are smart, they're, they won't try to, you know, do that too much because it's just not going to yield that much success there. So yeah, wish there was more of a path to Hertz or this, these receivers having volume. Uh, yeah. Hertz is interesting for his rushing upside. Just feels like a solid play rather than a, a ceiling play. So that kind of makes him hard there. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I think you guys kind of hit on most of the stuff that I was looking at too, in terms of the, the pass catchers, uh, everything you guys said, I like fully agree with, or was going to ask you guys about Quez is kind of interesting just because uh, Lex you had in here, New Orleans has allowed the third highest rate of explosive plays to wide receivers. So that would be like the one thing, if you are going to bet on this spot, kind of like Jess was saying, you probably don't want to do it on like your single entry roster, but if you're, if you're building a handful, a place you could go, but otherwise it's, it's, it is pretty thin across the board for the Philly pieces. Just one more note on Quez, uh, looking at the workbook, the saints, they're allowing a, a pretty decent amount to slot receivers. So 15.7, uh, points allowed into the slot. And that's just PPR. I don't know if, uh, I can't keep track of a DK bonus through the slot, but they're also allowing 8.6 targets, which is 24% of all their targets are going into the slot. And I believe did CJ GJ just get put on IR or is he still hurt or. Yeah. I don't know. Like some of these guys statuses are like still, it feels like up in the air. I could check really quick, but yeah, as far as I know, he's still not playing this week. anything (laughs) yeah i I couldn't find any new news like it's still just kind of like where yeah he's not not in there 
Jess, any, did you have any final thoughts on Quez there or was that it? That was it. Just that he's got a, the most advantageous matchup. And I, I think that's what I was thinking of when I, I said about the saints were being soft against tight ends. I didn't meant to say slot because that's where the, the ball has been going. Yeah. All right. I think we kind of covered the, the run game too. Any final notes on that? Are we good? Yeah, I think I'm good. I do think, yeah, like Quez and Devontae are mostly the two guys I'm looking at here. Lattimore was not, not very good at all last week. Um, and so, you know, Devontae is definitely in a, an interesting spot, but Quez's price definitely makes him really attractive. But yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm good. All right. So we got the New Orleans offense on the other side of the ball. Uh, you know, again, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like interesting spot with this just collection of guys that they have. Uh, you know, we kind of, yeah, we, we talked about it a bit, but why don't we um, dig in here, Lex, again, you know, we got Simeon playing at quarterback, uh, you know, you had noted a lot of his production has come kind of in comeback mode. I mean, what are they going to try to do here? Are they going to be able to control the flow of this game and the ball? What can we expect? Yeah, I think this is the toughest pass defense he's played so far. Um, just between like even Tampa secondary and then like Atlanta and Tennessee the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be putting Simeon, you know, in a lineup. What do you mean? He is probably going to remain the starter this week. Everything that I've seen about Taysom is like all the after effects of that concussion that he sustained. Like he's just still struggling with some certain things going through that. And so they haven't wanted to put him in at like full-time quarterback. Uh, so I, I would expect Simeon to stay here, which is like probably better for some of these, you know, pass catchers, but it's, it's still not enough where I'm like, yeah, I'm playing Simeon, especially when it's a tougher spot. Philly's been pretty good at limiting, uh, quarterbacks this year. I think I wrote, um, yeah, Herbert and Carr, like they are the only ones to pass for 300 plus. And then Mahomes and Brady are the only ones to pass for 250 plus Simeon is not exactly on the tier with those guys. Um, so yeah, I'm not like. I'm not exactly super into the saints passing him starting with Simeon. Um, we can get to the receivers, but Simeon would, will not be touching my player pool. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm out on Simeon as well. Eagles are, are softer against the run than the pass. And if you do pass against them, they're the Eagles are making you keep it shallow. They have the shortest eight out against at 6.3. Um, and then no defense this week is allowed a higher percentage of targets to funnel to the running back and tight end than Philly. So I'm staying off of the quarterback and receivers in this game. Uh, it, Kamara being healthy would be super helpful here for fantasy and real life for the Saints. Um, but their, their tight ends have struggled. Like their uh, Troutman gets a lot of targets, but he doesn't catch very many of them. It's not really that he's dropping them. I don't know what's going on. Maybe Lex is, is seeing what's going on. Why Troutman's not being productive, but. I mean, they just, they have the fourth and 15th lowest catch rate of all tight ends with 10 or more targets. So if you're attacking this Eagles defense, you need to do it with shallow catch and run guys. And to me, that just points to Kamara. Yeah. Kamara's for sure in the best spot. Yeah. Troutman, he's had, you know, some struggles with drops and then it's also like, you know, they haven't had the most accurate quarterbacks in there throwing the balls. Like Juwan Johnson gets used occasionally. Nick Fanette returns from IR this week. So like, you know, Troutman could get used even less now. Um, they still value him as a blocker, but again, like none of these guys in the tight end room are probably going to get enough volume. Um, Kamara is for sure the most interesting. 
Uh, just with what you said, the Eagles defense, you know, funnels production to these running backs. Actually, like last couple of weeks, it seemed like, I mean, Eckler and Swift, they played them both and like held them to, you know, smaller days, which was like kind of surprising because they were set up really well. But, you know, Denver guys had some success. So I still think it's an attackable spot. Uh, Ingram, the thing about Kamara that worries me is with Ingram back, Kamara's had when he was playing before last week, when he didn't play, he had seen like his two lowest totals um, of touches since like the one of the first weeks. So like that worries me just because, you know, with Kamara, we're already relying on like slightly less touches than like some of those other high price backs. Um, and if you have Ingram in there now stealing a little bit more too, like that, just that takes away that ceiling chance. Um, he definitely could, like you said, he could rack up like a ton of work through the air, especially with Simeon playing like that's better for him. But uh, it's, it's tough to trust the volume when he's coming back from an injury. He didn't play last week. Ingram played pretty well in his spot. They're comfortable with Ingram getting like, you know, 10 or so touches a game. So I'm, I'm not like super excited to play Kamara, but he is in the best spot on this offense for sure. Well, and they, if they just do a, a three pronged attack and, and get Taysom Hill out there, Kamara and Ingram and just keep running the ball and just kind of avoid passing altogether, then you, you could see a way where Kamara can put up a really good score. And maybe Ingram could put up something useful too. I don't know that I'd use Ingram at all, but just yeah. as far as the game plan goes, like if they, they go run heavy and passing to the running backs, then I think that's I, kind that, of the best way to go. Yeah. I was going to add too. So I, I saw a quote too, where, um, so this only applies if Kamara doesn't play again, if he sits again, but Ingram's usage in that game actually went up because uh, Ty Montgomery like uh, he broke his finger early in the game. And they had said that actually changed a lot of the plans they had um, just because they plan to split a lot of the work between those two. So like if he's out again and Kamara's out, like that's definitely a big boost to Ingram. And I think it did bail out, uh, you know, people last week. Now Ingram was still a good play last week, but he definitely got more usage than he otherwise would have. But uh, I do think of that if he's like the only one left, Oh, actually, you know, they did activate Tony Jones from IR today. I saw, but I don't know if that means he's going to play this week necessarily but he did like get, you know, that activation at least. So that would definitely damper Ingram as well. And, and Kamara, if they've got like all these guys healthy. Yeah. I think what you were saying there too, Jess, about the, the way that they attack here, I feel like that probably makes the most sense. And, you know, Peyton has shown that he's willing to do that with what he's got this year. So I could definitely see that being the case. I think that like, because of what you said, if, if there are a couple of guys healthy, uh, then it kind of eats into their ceilings, even if they are having relative, you know, some like decent volume. So that kind of makes that hard. So, yeah, I mean, again, you know, just not in a great spot in terms of the, you know, what matches up or what sets up here for this offense. Did you guys have any thoughts? We didn't mention any receivers specifically by name, you know, but we, mentioned that's the, you know, it sets up poorly because of how Philadelphia plays. Any thoughts on those guys or are we pretty much good with what we've covered? Um, the, the Philly defense has been really tough first receivers, which makes it, you know, tougher to want to play these guys. Um, their ceilings have not been there at all. I mean, Smith and Harris are both like 4.4, 4.2. So they're not like, I mean, they're pretty cheap. Harris has definitely been the most consistent of them. He's had, you know, he's got that 
big play threat like the other guys don't necessarily have. Um, but again, you're, I mean, with Simeon against a tougher pass defense, I don't know. I, I just don't know if it's worth trying to bet on these guys. Traquan has had, you know, some nice couple weeks in the last couple, but again, it's like a nice week is like 12 points. You know what I mean? So it's like, what, what are you really hoping for? I mean, if Harris catches a touchdown in any of these higher yardage games, like he's interesting, like, and he's also a guy that you could technically, you know, if you ever do like the double dip with the defense special teams, like he's one of the best options because he is honestly probably the number one receiver as weird as that is to say at like five foot six, the number one guy for the saints offense. And he also is one of the best returners in football. So like if anyone, if you're ever going to do that double dip defense receiver um, combo, like he's one of the, you know, most likely to actually pay that off. But again, it's just a tough spot to attack really. Yeah, I pretty much avoid receivers against the Philly defense as it is. And if, I think I did play Allen a couple of weeks ago, and that was just because I liked the matchup and the slot. I don't think the Saints have a, a slot receiver like Allen that I want to go to. So I'm just going to leave him alone. Yep, fair enough. I think that might be a wrap for that game and us for a whole. What do you guys think? Yeah, I can't wait to watch Taysom Hill score like three touchdowns <laughs> if you ever, if you play Camara. <laughs> The running back landscape this week, and it's kind of ugly at the top. It just depends on who plays. Like a lot of those guys are in tough matchups, like Taylor. uh, I don't know. Green Bay has been okay against the run. Cook's okay, but then you got Kamara, and then if Chubb comes back, Elliott. Like my first one that jumps out, besides obviously CMC, is you you get down to Joe Mixon at seventy six hundred. That's like the the first jump off the page running back for me. Yeah, that's interesting. That definitely would help like someone like even like Zeke, if you have like a weaker slate, you know, and Zeke's in that high score environment, like we talked about, but um, yeah, I'm good with this game and, and all the rest. All right, guys. Well, fun to hang out and talk the games as usual. That's uh, yeah, that'll do it for tonight. Good to go. Hope you guys got something here tonight for Lex for Jess. I'm Ben. And this has been the OWS First Peak Podcast. See you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.